With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want winners. I want people that want to win. You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. You got to put your money where your mouth is, Pete. It's not gambling advice. Hello and welcome to Not Gambling Advice, sponsored by Prize Picks. Use code Just Baseball or code Just Gridiron when you download for a full instant deposit match on the best daily fantasy app. I'm your host, Peter Apple, and this is part three of a three part series where I'm going over my 2023. MLB futures bets. In part one, you saw my American League betting preview, whether that be divisional bets, whether that be World Series, or anything in between. And part two was my National League with the same. And this is my individual player props to be played on prize picks as one long entry, as well as my favorite individual awards, whether that be MVP or Cy Young or Rookie of the Year. I keep harping on the same point and I want to keep repeating it because I think it's important because before we even begin, you have to understand one thing about betting on futures. You are tying up your money with a book for seven months. You're basically giving the sports book a loan. So if you're beginning to bet this year, don't consider playing any futures. Build up that bankroll. Hopefully it's through my place or maybe it's through your own, through tons of research. But if you have bet and you have won and you have profit already this is when you unload on the futures market and for me it's been very profitable over the past couple of seasons we've hit Aaron Judge to win MVP um, we've hit the Atlanta Braves to win the East over win totals all that kind of stuff so let's get straight into it because we have a lot to discuss but first a couple of rules before we begin I'm not betting on players in their second year, and this is pertaining to season-long MLB props, which I'm going to give you six of. I'm not going to bet on players in their second year. Some take a step forward that many expect, but a lot fall short of expectation. The sophomore slump is real, and it's one of the most challenging years to project properly. We can think Hula Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman, they're going to take that next step up. But sometimes the league adjusts. Remember, if I told you, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe even in 2021, that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. would go from 48 home runs to 32 home runs, you would call me crazy. But look at it. It happened. They're the best hitters in the world, but when pitchers make adjustments, they're some of the best pitchers in the world. So we just don't have enough data to handicap these properly. Rule number two. I mainly target unders. It's much more likely that a player doesn't reach his ceiling, whether it be injury or just simply not meeting expectations. Rule number three, to find value, I put together an Excel sheet with every Fangraph's projection system and combined it with data from the 2021 and 2022 seasons. Not only did I record the counting stats, but I involved advanced data in finding out the upside or the downside of a particular player. You can still find those Excel sheets through my Dub Club service. It is still free until opening day, and then come opening day, it's 83 cents a day where you get all my bets 
gets texted to you immediately in the morning or the night before. You're paying for convenience and you're paying for live bets as well as also my enormous Excel spreadsheet with every player available on prize picks gives you their projections, gives you um, their data from past seasons in order for you to make the most educated bet. But here are mine. And again, reminder to download prize picks and use code just baseball for a 100% deposit match. Number one, give me Vladimir Guerrero Jr. over 163 and a half hits. In 2021, he had 188. In 2022, he had 175. And we can look at expected hits by looking at expected batting average. And so in 2021, he had 185 expected. In 2022, 176 expected. But we have to look at fan graphs because they have eight different projection systems that they use for hitters. And it's fine to look at one, but one could be much more conservative. While one is, you know, it's making the player look like Barry Bonds. So I like to average them all together. And when you average them, you get 166.58. So by the projections, we're seeing about three hits in terms of value. Here's why, though. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is coming off a down year by his standards. He almost won the MVP in 2021 after hitting 48 home runs with a 311 batting average. In 2022, the home run output dived, as did the batting average, but it wasn't a result of not making quality contact, but it was a spike in ground ball rate. His ground ball rate rose from 45.6% to 52.3%, but he still made contact within the zone at an 83.8% rate, the highest since his rookie season. Pitchers pitched him differently, throwing fewer fastballs and pounding him with off-speed. The chase rate jumped to the highest of his career, and his walk rate dropped to the lowest of his career. But a 7.4% walk rate for a player with his level of plate discipline shouldn't continue. It was a year when the league adjusted to Vladdy, but now it's time for him to adjust back. Guerrero Jr. was a number one overall prospect for a reason. It wasn't just because of the incredible raw power. Many publications gave him an 80-grade hit tool. On the 20 to 80 grading scale, 80 is considered a Hall of Fame level tool. The reason Vladdy is feared is that he doesn't sell out for power. It just comes naturally to him. While he isn't a candidate who should benefit greatly from the shift ban, it's certainly going to help. And another reason I'm confident in taking his over is his health. Vladdy's in the lineup every single day. Over the past three seasons, he's missed three games. He's a first baseman who doesn't steal many bases or really overextend himself. He knows the importance of staying in the lineup and prides himself on always being available. One reason to be mildly cautious is right knee inflammation. It was the reason he didn't play in the World Baseball Classic. But truthfully, I'm not really buying it. Um, as I wrote my article and as I'm recording to you right now, I was just watching him play in spring training where he's posted a 933 OPS. He'll be totally fine and is on track to start opening day. Out of the eight prediction systems, only two have him going under. And these systems are often conservative, even though six have him going over. This line is just too low for a superstar like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Next up, Aloy Jimenez, under 29.5 home runs. In 2021, he had 10 versus 9.8 expected. He had 16 home runs in 2022, 17.6 expected. Fangraph's average 2023 prediction in terms of home runs is 27.72. This is an incredibly optimistic line for Aloy Jimenez. I have zero doubt that he has the talent to do so, but what you're betting on is for so many things to go well for a player that just doesn't have the track record. Eloy has 71 career home runs in his first four seasons. On average, he's played 79 games per year over a 162-game schedule, averaging 17 and three-quarters home runs. When he's on the field, he's great, rocking a 124 WRC plus for his career. The issue is, and still is, staying on the field. We did see him light him up 
light it up in the World Baseball Classic, but it just comes in short spurts with Eloy. It's been reported that he's dealing with a calf strain to his right leg to start the year. This is the same right leg that limited him to just 84 games in 2022. That was his hamstring, and this time it's his calf, which still doesn't bode well for a man who weighs well over 200 pounds. To his credit, he did drop 25 pounds this offseason to counteract the injury bug, but it's also to play right field. He wants to play a lot more right field this season, and that just won't help his chances of staying on the field. So now that we've gone over his injury... Let's look at his power output. While he has incredible raw power, can he hit 30 home runs? The answer is yes, but it's not a confident yes, even if he plays the entire season. In 2021, he played 55 games and hit 10 home runs. If you average that out over 162 games, that's playing every day, he's projected at 29.4. In 84 games last season, he hit 16. Over 162, that's 30.8 home runs. You get an under when you factor in injury history, playing right field more often, and a two-year sample of a downturn in home run power. For Aloy to go over this number, he'd have to regain his power stroke from 2019 and stay healthy for most of the year. It's a big ask for a player already banged up to start the season. Next up, Clayton Kershaw under 165.5 strikeouts. And it also should be noted, I gave this out to my Dub Club subscribers a couple of days ago, and now it's down to 161.5, and I would still take it. In 2021, 144 strikeouts. In 2022, 137. And its Fangraph's average projection is 153. It pains me to do this, but it's a bet we must make. The first ballot Hall of Famer is not what he once was. The last time he went over this number was in 2019, and the past three seasons have not been kind to Kershaw. He's averaged 124 innings over the past two seasons, but it's not all his fault. It's the Dodgers actively saving him for a playoff run. This has been a common occurrence for Kershaw over the past few years. Consistent IL stints from a hurt back, a roughed up elbow, and more have kept the Dodgers extremely cautious with him. The Dodgers have plenty of starting pitching depth this season, especially with youngsters Bobby Miller and Gavin Stone expected to play a role this season. If the Dodgers are going to make the run in the playoffs, they need Kershaw to be ready to come October. To do that, they must preserve his innings. This isn't new. This has been happening in each of the last two years. Kershaw is also pitching to contact more than he has in previous years. He's never been a high strikeout guy, but a 27.8% rate and a 9.76K per nine are still great. It's just if he keeps up the same strikeout rate, which is expected to drop, he'd have to throw 153 innings to reach 166 strikeouts. At 35 years old, I do not expect the Dodgers to keep him out there that long, especially when you have one of the best bullpens in baseball to shoulder the load. We've seen pitchers like Julio Arias even drop their innings from last season. I fully expect Kershaw to look like an elite arm when he's on the mound, but 165.5, 161.5 doesn't really matter. It's too much to expect from Kershaw. Next up, Jordan Alvarez under 37.5 home runs. Again, this was given out. I gave it out at 39.5, but now it's down to 37.5, and, and I would still take it. And this is where the bets get crazy. Don't turn off the podcast. Just hear me out. 2021 home runs, 33. Expected 38.6. 2022, 37. Expected 38.4. And his average 2023 projection is 37.15. It's crazy, but hear me out. Jordan is phenomenal. I think he's one of the best hitters on planet Earth. What makes Jordan so unique is that he hits the ball as hard as anyone, but doesn't sacrifice it for strikeouts. He's disciplined and takes a single and two strike counts to get on base. He'll take the extra pitch if it means setting up his teammates with runners on base. He'll hit the double in the gap to score a run. He has a smooth swing that generates an incredible amount of raw power. So now that I've given him his flowers, let me tell you why he's not hitting 38 home runs this year. First off, he's never done it. He's played three full seasons, not counting 2020, and has averaged 32 home runs a year. 
He's not like Eloy, where it's been injuries that have kept him from doing so. It's an approach at the plate. He doesn't need to hit 38 home runs to be extremely valuable. In those three full seasons, he's registered the lowest launch angle of his career and the highest ground ball rate. Jordan was shifted the 28th most among players, so he can attack even more holes for singles to get on base. He certainly has the power. You know, I'm not debating that. I just don't see it happening. So not only has he never done it, he comes into the season with question marks. He debuted in spring training on March 24th. I'm recording this today on March 27th. And those were his first in-game swings since the World Series. Jordan suffered a broken handmate bone in his hand last year. Big sluggers like Jordan often have troubles with their handmate bone, which can be broken from consistent stress. Aaron Judge is an example of a similar hitter who's dealt with his fair share of handmate issues, and it often lingers if not appropriately treated. It flared up again this offseason, which was part of the reason we didn't see him playing for Team Cuba in the World Baseball Classic, which is five days less left until opening day. Now it's three. He has three at-bats in spring training. He went 0 for 3 in his first game, which doesn't matter, but it's just a way of saying it takes time to get back in rhythm. On top of all this, the plan is for Jordan to play in the outfield more than usual. He played 77 games at DH last year compared to 56 games. But Jeff Bagwell, who's in the Astros front office, he thinks the plan is for Jordan to play 45 to 50% of his games in left. That was said after the 2022 season, and it continues to be said. He's never played 50% of his games in the outfield, and there's always more opportunity for injury when playing most of your games out there. Remember back in June, late June, when Jordan was carted off the field following a collision in left field with Jeremy Pena? Things like that can happen. Do I want them to happen? Of course not, but it just it allows it to happen when you play more outfield. So for all these reasons, I'm taking the under. To reach 38 home runs, this is the bet. To go over, he would have to set his career high in home runs, stay healthy all year, while playing more outfield, and even if he stays healthy, it's not a given he's going to hit the most home runs that he's ever hit, especially coming off an injury that explicitly hurts power output. Jordan Alvarez under 37.5. Fifth prop, Marcus Semien over 153 and a half hits. 2021, 173. Expected, 163. 2022, 163. Expected, 160. Fangraph's average projection have him at 155.72. Like Vladdy, if I'm going to bet on a player to go over, I need to be confident in their health. Major League Baseball may not have a safer option than Marcus Semien. In his last eight seasons, if you don't include 2020, he's played at least 155 games in seven of them. If you do count 2020, he played 53 of the 60 total games. He's missed one game in two years and has been as productive as any second baseman in baseball. Another reason I love this pick is Marcus Semien doesn't need to hit for a high average to go over his hit total. He hit 248 last year and still exceeded this projected total by 10 hits. Semien is elite at hitting balls in the zone, doing it at an 87.6% rate, tied for his career high. He also had the second lowest strikeout rate of his career last season. Marcus Semien swings the bat, and it typically goes well for him when he does. Projection systems, again, are often conservative. Three of the eight have him under 153.5. Two have him at 153, and the other is 152. The five others have him well over 160, but I just don't even think those are doing him justice. The banning of the shift should help Semien rack up more hits. He is the seventh most shifted right-handed batter last season. He recorded the lowest batting average on balls in play of his career, if you don't include 2020. It wasn't a, from a drop in speed as he stole 25 bases, the most in his career. Marcus Semien struggled mightily out of the gate. He just signed a big seven-year deal when, and was adjusting to his new home. He recorded a 697 OPS in the first half, but it had a lot to do with a 443 stinker OPS in April and 618 OPS in May. He was fantastic from June on, putting up a 777 OPS in the second half, which doesn't include June. He hit 259 versus 239 in the front half. 
Considering his talent and ability to stay on the field, Marcus Semien is among the safest players to bet on. When you factor in a number boost due to the shift ban, we are looking at an excellent bet to surpass his projected total of hits. And the last one, Shohei Otani under 3.15 ERA. His 2021 ERA was 3.18, but last year 2.33. XERA in 2021 was 3.32, XERA last year 2.68, and his average projection is 3.10. Not sure if you noticed, but the Shohei guy is pretty good. Yeah. I've run out of adjectives to describe his level of talent. He's incomparable, unmatched, and I'm not sold on him being a human. All I'm saying is I wouldn't be shocked to find out he was sent from a different dimension to dominate the sport of baseball. He's one of the better hitters in the American League, but becoming one of the best pitchers on earth. He's not built like you or me. Heck, he's not even built like a major league player. His fastball wasn't performing like you might think last year. Opponents hit 281 against it, even though he averaged 97.3. What does he do? Start throwing a 97-mile-an-hour sinker towards the tail end of the year, and opponents hit 167 against it. Not only does he pair his fastball with two other variations of a heater, the cutter and the sinker, but his secondaries are some of the best in the world. Opponents hit 165 against a sweeper and 128 against a splitter. We ranked him as the seventh best pitcher in baseball for 2023, and I'm honestly afraid we ranked him too low. His ERA estimators last year, Sierra, PCRA, XERA, FIP, XFIP, had him under a 2.8. He could fit, win the Cy Young in the American League, but the Angels are always cautious with his innings. That's why I like him. For that reason, the Angels are projected to have a six-man rotation. They're letting Otani rest up to put his best foot forward every sixth day. The rush should help him perform better and better and stay healthy while doing so. Did I mention Shohei can hit? The significant part about that is the Angels give him rests on the mound if his arm or any other injury prevents him from pitching. He's too important for the Angels to risk having him pitch if he's not healthy. They have also much more rotation depth than they've ever had. The significant part about betting on ERA is it's not an accumulation stat. We don't need him to rack up a number of strikeouts. We only need him to pitch at a level we expect when he pitches. He could even regress him last year and still go under a 3-1-5. If there are any pitchers in baseball I expect to do that next year, Otani's near the top of the list. And did I mention he's in a contract year, about to make $500 million plus? Yeah, he's going to go off. So those are the six MLB player props. Let's get into my favorite awards for the 2023 MLB season. Before we start, you're only going to hear two. And here's my reasoning. The AL MVP is frustrating. A player must have a historic season to compete with Shohei Otani. But the line on Otani is plus 175. There's no value there. I don't have a bet for the Cy Young this year because I'm not very good at it, if I'm being honest with you. The last Cy Young bet I hit was Corbin Burns to win the 2021 Cy Young, which was ended up being a long shot. The value on guys I like isn't quite there, and there are too many injury concerns to make a bet confidently. In the American League Rookie of the Year, I expect Gunner to win it, but his odds are plus 250. It's not worth a bet. I would never give you a bet that I wouldn't take myself. So these are the only two I see enough value to take a swing at. And that starts with Francisco Lindor at plus 3,000 to win the MVP with for one unit. Let's go through a couple of uh, criteria that I think are important. Number one, how good is the team? Because you need to be on a good team to win MVP, unless you're Shohei Otani. The Mets are projected to be one of the best teams in baseball. After winning 101 games last season and making the playoffs, they retooled the rotation by adding Verlander and Kodai Senga. The lineup is as deep offensively and defensively as any team in Major League Baseball. It would be a massive disappointment for the Mets not to make the playoffs. This is important, as most MVP winners come from a playoff team or teams with winning records. There are special cases like Otani on an Angels team, like I said, but it's safer to pick a great player on a great team. What does this competition look like? Criteria number two. Juan Soto is the favorite at plus 550. 
That's a good bet, <laughs> considering he's on a great team with enormous offensive upside. The problem with Soto is he will have to be far and away the best hitter in the National League to win the award. Voters value war wins above replacement when voting on the MVP, and Soto's defense sucks. He could do it, but the value isn't close to worth it. Mookie Betts is a great choice. Great team, should, ac should accumulate plenty of war, second best odds, and I consider him a good candidate. The issue is value. He'd be actionable at plus 1,200, but the highest we can find is plus 900, and sometimes he, mostly it's 850s in the market. Lindor also put up a higher F4 season than Mookie did last year. I group Acuna, Trey Turner, Tatis, Machado in the same bucket. All have question marks moving into the season regarding the MVP. As much as I like Trey Turner, there's a learning curve after signing a large contract and moving across the country. Matt Olson for one, Marcus Semien for another, Corey Seager for another. I could go on. We've seen players struggle initially, but then turn on the second half, but that's not an MVP. He's also not the best defender. Manny Machado got paid, so I'd rather not bet on him. Fernando Tatis Jr. is coming off a PED and won't be on the field since uh, until April 20th. Acuna is coming off a season where he wasn't healthy due to an ACL tear. That's just not someone I want to bet on to win the MVP. That leaves Goldschmidt, Freddie Freeman, Pete Alonso, Matt Olson. All players who can rake, and one of them was the 2022 NL MVP in Paul Goldschmidt. All of a great shot, but again... They all have to have incredible offensive seasons to win at first base. It's been done before, but it's not a position I ever think is worth it to go for an MVP vet. That leaves Nolan Arenado, Austin Riley, and Francisco Lindor. All three play for excellent teams and are fantastic candidates to bet on. It comes down to value for me. Riley's at plus 1,600, Arenado's at plus 1,200, and Lindor is priced anywhere from 2,500 to 30, plus 3,000. That's almost double the odds, and it's a misprice. Riley and Arenado did finish in front of Lindor in MVP voting last year, but the odds shouldn't double. It also should be noted that Riley was just extended while Lindor is in year three of his contract finally settled in. Again, Riley and Arenado, good picks, but I prefer the best defender with tons, tons of upside on offense. So why Francisco Lindor? I firmly believe that Francisco Lindor will turn in his best season in Major League Baseball. From 2017 to 2019 with the Guardians, Lindor slashed 278, 342, 514 with 34 bombs and 21 stolen bases. During this time, he's considered to be one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball. He had a down year in 2020, even though it was just in 60 games, but then he was traded to the Mets and signed a $341 million contract. He struggled in year one, but so did the Mets. It was a weird season as many players complained that the new hitting philosophy was screwing with the team. The Mets revamped and Lindor led all shortstops in F4. He played 161 games but the 30 plus home runs wasn't there. He's still at 26 and stole 16 bases but we need at least 35 home runs and 20 stolen bases to win the MVP. He's done it before hitting 38 home runs and stealing 25 in 2018 which led to a 7.8 F4 season. He didn't win the MVP that year because Mookie Betts put up a 10 and a half F4 season and ran away with it. Banning of the shift and larger bases should help Lindor reach this potential. He was shifted 61.3% of the time, so we should be able to find a few more holes in the left side of the infield. The bigger bases and new pickoff rules should allow him to tack on a few more stolen bases. The shift should also play to his benefit on defense. Now the shortstops have to be stationed at their own position, the world will see how elite of a defender he is. I expect him to blow the competition out of the water with how great his range is, combined with a bazooka for an arm. He's 29 years old. Finally comfortable in New York. He's on a great team. Every rule change should benefit him. He's 13th in odds. 13th. It's far too low for a player who's finished top 9 in MVP voting in 4 seasons. He's coming off an excellent WBC, and that level of play should allow him to start hot. He has the best value by far, and it's worth a bet to win the National League MVP. National League Rookie of the Year. Give me Corbin Carroll at plus 500 for one unit. How good is this team? 
doesn't tend to matter when it comes to rookie of the year voting. Julio Rodriguez and Michael Harris won it last year for playoff teams, but that's not always the case. Jonathan India won the 2021 NL Rookie of the Year award on an 83-win Reds team. It's mildly important for the team to be competitive, and the Diamondbacks should win around 80 games last year. We, we all know I'm on there over 74.5 for two units. So who is Corbin Carroll? Let me introduce you to a bad man. Coined by Stephen A. Smith, Corbin Carroll is a bad man. He signed an eight-year extension worth 140 M's before he turned in 140 MLB at-bats. That's unheard of unless you're the Atlanta Braves. What makes it even more shocking is that the Diamondbacks rarely sign players to this large of a contract. In his first 32 games, Carroll put up a 130 WRC+, meaning he was 30% better than the league average hitter. As a 21-year-old, he put up 1.4 F4. If you average that over 162 games, that put him on a 7 F4 pace. That would have placed him 6th in Major League Baseball last year. He is the fastest player in the league. I'm not exaggerating. He recorded the highest sprint speed in the league last year at 30.8 feet per second. He's only 5'10", but he's hit home runs in the minor leagues that exceeded 460 feet. He is a freak. He has incredible raw power for a man of his size. He's the fastest player while making plenty of contact in the zone. In just 32 games last year, zone contact of 77.9%. Julio Rodriguez made contact with balls in the zone at 80.1%. But Carroll's more speed than, than Julio. Carroll's also the better defender than Julio is, but he'll be playing left field. He could be an elite center fielder, but he might be the best defender in a corner spot in the league. The true five-tool player will show the league why the Diamondbacks felt comfortable giving him this extension. He's slated to hit the top of the lineup in 2023, and we should see plenty of at-bats, and we ranked him as our number one overall prospect. Here's a paragraph about Carroll from his days in the minor leagues, which you could find more of on our top 100 list. And I quote from Arm Layton, Through Carroll... Though Carroll played in a hit, very hitter-friendly Pacific Coast League, he has produced a max exit velocity of 111 miles an hour and his 90th percentile exit velocity of 106.6 just edges out Christian Walker for the best mark in the D-backs organization. More bat speed than you'd expect given his small frame, leading to sneaky pop to the pull side. So what's his competition? Jordan Walker is atop this list. The young Cardinal slugger mashes. A few days ago, the Cardinals selected him, meaning he could be on the field opening day. And his odds since then have surpassed Corbin Carroll. But they shouldn't. Not only has Jordan Walker not played a game above AAA, but he should also put up a 128 WRC+. But he also put up a 128 WRC+, in 119 games in AA. Carroll only played 58 games in AA, putting up a 165. That's a lot better of a WRC+. He was so advanced, they moved him to AAA, where he put up a 135 WRC+, still better than Jordan Walker. Then he moved to the big leagues and recorded a 130 WRC+, still better than Jordan Walker. He's the far better defender and has a much longer track record. But Jordan Walker is at plus 400 to compare to Carroll plus 500? Please. Kodai Senga is another player you should keep your eye on. Senga had a 189 ERA and 148 innings in the MPB, and the Mets signed him to a large contract this offseason. I prefer not to bet on pitchers to win these awards, as they're more likely than a position player to get injured. It also should be noted that Senga has never thrown more than 180 innings in a season, last doing so in 2019. Over the last six seasons, he's averaged 143 innings per year. Spencer Schrider turned in into one of the best pitchers alive in baseball. Still didn't win the award, even though he threw 131 innings. Miguel Vargas, Ezekiel Tovar, great bets, because they're going to get a bunch of playing time. The issue is so will Carroll, and Carroll's just far superior. 
plenty of nice long shots. I like Spencer Steer at plus 2,500, Brett Beatty at plus 2,000, Sal Freelich at plus 3,000, and Matt Mervis at plus 3,300, Hayden Wesneski at 50 to 1, but none of them come close to Carroll if he reaches his potential. So that'll do it for my player props as well as my individual awards. It's exciting. If you want to see them all written down, they're on JustBaseball.com. I can't wait to start the season. Opening day, you will get me giving my bets out every single day on this podcast. I cannot wait. Up 44 units last year. Let's make it 50 this year. Tons of preseason bets. Hopefully, you guys have been enjoying it. The best thing that you could do to help me is sign up for the Dub Club. It is 83 cents a day, and I promise the value will be worth it. If you don't want to spend a dime, I totally understand. Won't hold it against you. If you could just rate this podcast five stars wherever you are listening, I would greatly appreciate it. But we do have to remember that it is not gambling advice. 